From the classroom to the cornfield, journalism to SEC athletics, the University of Missouri works 52 weeks a year, every year. This is Inside Mizzou, real stories, real discoveries, and real impact of the Mizzou community. Today's episode is called Indigenous Cultures. Next Monday is Indigenous Peoples Day. Missouri has a particularly rich Native American history. Even our state's name derives from the Missouri tribe, which translates to one who has dug out canoes. On this episode of Inside Mizzou, we are going to be learning more about how contemporary art plays an important role in delving into the history of Native Americans. Joining Chancellor Cartwright to talk more about this today are Joseph Erb, Assistant Teaching Professor in Digital Storytelling, and Ryder Hirone, a junior studying communications who is also currently the president of Four Directions. Thank you all for being here today. Really appreciate it. Now, uh, Joseph, I'm going to start off with you. How does art help us study indigenous cultures? Well, I think that art actually helps you study any culture. In fact, you can find people's culture in any type of form of art. A lot of times when we have the lens of uh, Western European art, we don't always think about how much we're actually learning of the culture of that people, but you really understand that when you actually see work of other types of people. And indigenous people have distinct values that are different in colors and um, looks and imagery. That's distinctly theirs. And with over 500 tribal nations in the United States, you will find very distinct flares across the geographic regions. Um, Even their language bases are different. The most diverse language base in the entire world is in Oklahoma because the amount of indigenous people that were removed to Indian territory before Oklahoma had such distinctly different cultures. You'll find that actually expressed in the art, culture, and people. Yeah. Are there a few examples of that? Um, Because I know you mentioned like colors and everything. I'm just, yeah, I'm very curious about that. Yeah. So you, you'll find that most of these cultures have a distinct um, value of different philosophies of color and different. So you'll have some cultures that are very colorful. So they'll have regalia, clothing, effects, pottery that are very colorful. And then you'll have tribal people that have low amount of color and depending on the region that they're in so like cherokees being a eastern southeastern tribe they don't have a lot of colors in their pottery and stuff but they have really neat iconography and beautiful um, stories that are depicted along basket designs and everything but it's distinctly different than what the navajo have and part of that's region but also culture and so some of the elements that they have in those areas are just the geographic location of rocks and minerals that are different. So you have different purposes from holy mountain sites that are different. So with that development of thousands of years, you have distinctly different types of people across the United States. Ryder, what are your thoughts about that? I, I agree with Joseph on, on this point. Like he, he brought up like how art does kind of um, give you a good insight into just any culture in general. But when kind of talking about indigenous cultures, you kind of get... Um, not quite a dichotomy per se, but just there, there's a fine line between like Western depictions of indigenous people in uh, Western art and then indigenous art in itself. Again, with like Western art, you see a lot of different um, noble savage tropes and literary iterations and paintings 
and things of that nature, you kind of get like a certain closed in, boxed in image of um, indigenous peoples, who we are, what we look like, kind of like a generalized conglomerate at, at certain points. But then again, like Joseph was saying, when you start looking at our, our individual uh, people's arts and our individual crafts, you start seeing like the just the sheer amount of, um, I guess, individuality, for lack of a better term, because uh, I'm, I speak from like a, a Pueblo perspective. We, there's about 19 Pueblos along New Mexico, and we all have our own form of pottery, all different forms. You can have somebody in a sleta, uh, which is where I'm from have a certain way of making it, but then you can go up to San Felipe and they have a very distinct style that's only known to them. And it even goes down into the pot makers too at that point. They have a certain material they use, a certain way that they've been taught, or they may even just experimented with. So in that way, like you, you can learn so much from just, again, like what Joseph was saying, what we make things out of, what we use, why we use it. And you can really get into a deeper insight into, um, how we view the world in, in that way. Uh, you mentioned um, pottery all, and a lot of these like con- traditional forms of art. So how does contemporary art, especially within digital storytelling, thing you are teaching here, uh, how does that um, play a special role in kind of figuring out this very complex but also incredibly rich history? Yeah, you know, one of the things that's intriguing about um, indigenous knowledge or people is that a lot of people, um, although we do have fantastic potters and basket makers still to this day, um, the inherent knowledge that's in that can be transferred into other things. For example, they have stories in them. And so the pottery represents a story. And those stories can be put into film and put in our language and have the understanding of that at a greater realm where we can actually share that story with our across different communities, different tribal people and the world. And so a lot of my work has been taking indigenous uh, knowledge from home and turning it into computer animations and films and being able to actually do that next step because most people don't realize that indigenous people develop just like the rest of the world. Um, there's a misconception because of the lack of education that the indigenous uh, people are not really who they are unless they're doing very traditional modes of agriculture, land acquisition, hunting, and all of that stuff. But if you look at it today, and it's, and it's been this way uh, since all development, you know, we have cars, we have electricity, we um, can be very uh, strong culturally and still use iPhones. And so we have this ability to actually um, still be like we are like one example is you know you don't think of Japanese being less Japanese because they have animations or stories all that those stories make them more Japanese and we're not less indigenous because we make films or more indigenous and so we have um, even from the start of the United States a lot of indigenous people went to Ivy League schools and we think of education um, being something that Maybe indigenous people have had a, a rough time of it through boarding school stuff, but when you look back um, throughout a lot of the Ivy League, some of the best students were indigenous people in Princeton and all of the East Coast schools. Dartmouth was started as an Indian school, and so our first editor of our newspaper was a Dartmouth graduate. And so throughout that, indigenous people always make um, giant strides through technology and through um, storytelling of film 
we've been a part of all of those developments through history. But because we're a small population, we're not always thought of in that way, especially due to the fact that a lot of our stories are told by outside people. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, in your experience, you're, you're right now you're a communications mm-hmm. major. Uh, yep. Uh, I mean, how, what, how do you think of uh, what Joseph was just saying and, and how that, your view of that? Pretty much. I, I really agree with what Joseph was saying. Like, we kind of take um, our, our the, the term that I like to throw around is um, indigenuity, which is a combined a combination of indigenous and ingenuity and just kind of like taking something, which in this, in this case can be a, a Western form of art and mm-hmm. kind of molding it for our own ways. Or just even using it to, like Joseph was saying, like put a traditional story in film or animation in that form. And for the most part, I, I would say I like really agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, it strikes me that one of the things you're, you're talking about, and, you know, I'd, I'd like uh, your opinion on this. I mean, you're really making a lot of these concepts more accessible, too, with some of the things mm-hmm. you're doing with digital storytelling. And I think it's putting it in a format that, that people are more able to understand. Uh, and like uh, you were saying, that this, uh, Joseph was saying, the storytelling part of it and how what that story might have been and putting that all together, I think I find that fascinating. You know, I always thought, like, I started doing computer animation yeah. early on in the, yeah. the 90s where I, st- where I would do stuff in the language of traditional stories. And I, I was young, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm new at this. <laughs> and then when you learn um, what happened before you, that um, you know, Sequoia came up with our writing system, and then it quickly became into the news, first Native American newspaper. And every development, the first um, telephone west of the Mississippi, Cherokees owned. Um, when you think of like the the telephone, the radio, uh, Real Rogers was Cherokee. He was born in an Indian hospital to an Indian mom, and he was very famous worldwide. And he had his own radio show and dealt with politics and all that stuff, but um, he was from an indigenous community. And throughout history, people have adopted these technologies, were great storytellers yeah. and very uh, amazing amount of stuff. But one of the things that we have to do in every generation, it isn't that uh, when I first realized that I was not new in the world, I had to like, you know, yeah. lower myself to realize that it. it but then I realized that it, the good part of it is that there'll be someone after me. There'll be a bunch of people after me telling stories in whatever new media is coming out there. Mm-hmm. There'll be other indigenous people continuing to tell the stories. And that's what's really nice about here at, at uh, University of Missouri, being supportive of some of our efforts with indigenous cultures and storytelling and seeing that as, as a valid story as any other. And so it's kind of been really a nice program to be a part of. Yeah, you know, what strikes me too is we were, um, uh, I'm a scientist and engineer, and uh, one of the things that uh, we've really been, uh, a lot of people have been struggling with is how do you communicate science? And one of the recent uh, workshops that I was at, what I was talking about is the best way you can communicate the science is actually through stories and making the stories identifiable and making them about people so that then they start to understand what the science really is about. Uh, so I think it's it's really interesting how you learn from other people what they've what techniques they've used how you can then apply those to much you know other completely different topics. Yeah, and and one of the things that people sometimes use for indigenous people's stories is this myth. But if you look at the stories, they actually have a lot of science in them. Yeah, 
And so, for example, when these stories happened at a certain location, you would find that, um, like for, for example, when a certain animal got a certain attribute, you'd find that there were certain minerals in that area. But you didn't realize that that story actually meant that this is where you find the minerals of that color or whatever you needed for some other element. Until you put these kind of pieces together, these stories were told. You know, when you know, a lot of people see this giant frog eating the moon as, uh, for our eclipse as like, it's just a fantasy. But our people had scientists in their community where they knew when this was going to happen too. And so this wasn't some bizarre happening that we also didn't know when these cycles would happen. We used our stories to remember when they happen. And so scientifically we used the arts to build in our science. You know, it was so interesting that you were talking about how you thought that you were new and that you were like starting this whole entire thing out of scratch. But I just want to say that I was reading up about you and you actually created this first animation project in the Cherokee language. And I think that's really incredible. Uh, can you kind of go a little bit more into detail about that project and kind of the impact of that project as well? Yeah, you know, um, I was a mixed kid growing up there and being in Cherokee Nation, my grandfather um, sold land so I could get educated and um, I was always going to just move off. And so I went to school and then I went to grad school and I ended up taking an animation class and then some film classes and I had no idea when I first got into those classes what kind of story to even make. And I even went and met with the professor, which everybody should do during their classes. <laughs> That's right. I sit there and wait for you students. Please show up. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, and so I went in there and I was like, I don't even know what tell, story to tell. And then he started telling me a story. And in the midst of that, I started thinking about some of the stories I learned growing up. And it's not like I knew a million of them, but I knew some. And I thought I could, I could tell a Cherokee story. And I never thought about it until then. I never related that as being a possibility. And after I was done, I actually decided, um, well, first in the midst of the process, I decided to put it in Cherokee because I thought, oh, am I going to tell this in English? It's better in the language. So I flew home. We did recordings. We got people to record and I get the different voices, flew back, and I finished it. And all this time I was going to school, I was, I was going to go teach and all of that. And I thought, I have to move home. And so I decided to move home, and it was such an exciting adventure teaching people, working on trying to make sure that, because at the beginning our language didn't work on computers, even to do subtitling. So I started working with Apple and Microsoft and Google, and then I realized that all of these cultures uh, that are out there have different times in their period where people are like, that our summer community go out and work and do the next iteration, but we're not taught about, you know, Pueblo stories or Navajo history, and to see the advancements of them, them, it really is nice to have this kind of education so that you know that all of these cultures have had pioneer or like people going in and getting doing completely new stuff. For example, we've had people that worked on the the people going to the moon, so we had Cherokees involved in in that. And we've had, and when you have, you have Navajos out working at Google right now. So all the advancements that we deal with in technology, you have people at Apple. So there are indigenous people, 
quietly working out there and they're not always noticed uh, but all of these advancements happened within the system of history and we have people involved in across the population it's just we're not always taught about them yeah writer as a student here at the university and being so far away from home how one how are you do you connect or still stay connected to your culture so far away? And then also, how do you kind of like communicate that out to people who don't necessarily know you? So how do you express like your identity to others? As being a president of Four Directions, I feel like that's definitely key. Uh, it's yeah, a key thing, yeah, yeah, to get students involved and organized. Um, let's see. So I guess to answer your first part, uh, I've lived away f or outside of New Mexico since she was probably one or two, but we've always visited pretty often, pretty yearly. So I've always had that connection to my family there and, and my culture. Not exactly everything, just because you know there's there's only certain things you can pick up by living there or just being there for more more than a week, honestly. So in that way, I guess kind of my 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 family has kept me grounded in that way. Learning, I uh, like sh shoot, I always learn something new every time. <laughs> I, uh, like I was saying before the recording, I spent the summer there and I, I learned a lot, a lot, a lot more than probably I've, I've learned in a long time. But that, yeah, that's kind of how I stay connected in that way. I stay connected to my family. Um, I talk to my, my dad and my, my chi, my grandma about just things of that nature a lot and trying to connect in that way and just um, continuing to use it. There's there's a saying like you use it or you lose it. Mm -hmm. and it's And it's that way for the culture, for your language, any, anything. So I kind of think of it in that way. You just kind of keep it present. And as far as like portraying my identity outside, um, it gets a little rough at times just because uh, I'm white passing. I, I, I appear white. And so a lot of people just kind of write me off as being white. So then at that point, like kind of I have to try harder in that way, I guess, to, to say I am a native person at this university in, in that way. Like the, the way I kind of um, express it is through like my stickers I have on my laptop. I have um, I have a couple of stickers that are just um, native pop culture things on them, and that way I have a couple of T-shirts that I that I love uh, that have just things. If if you're native, you know what they are, or you're mm -hmm. indigenous, you know what they are, and if not, you may kind of look at it and you can probably like connect the dots in that way. But yeah, and it, it is kind of important part for four directions too, because like I say, usually I can't express it like visually because I, I don't appear to the um or cohere to the uh, uh generalized image of what natives are so it gets difficult in that way i guess to answer your question <laughs> yeah definitely well thank you all again for being here today we really appreciate the time that you took out to talk to us about this particular topic uh one thing um before we leave is why did the chicken cross the playground all right, why? To get to the slide. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, nothing. <laughs> I got laid out. <laughs> Our audio engineer is Aaron Hay. Our featured music is Forest Park Rhapsody, composed by MU undergraduate and music composition major Ben Calagiovanni. You can find more information about Ben and his piece on the Inside Mizzou webpage. Make sure to join us next time and keep an eye out for the Chancellor's newsletter to stay on top of what's happening at Mizzou. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Inside Mizzou. See you around the columns. <laughs>